So in the five khandhas, we have the form rupa, and then vedana, the feeling, sanya, uh, memory, uh, sankara, mental formations, and vinyana, sense consciousness. So this rupa we can see is this body. It can be the bodies of humans, the bodies of animals. This is what we refer to as rupa, and also um, buildings, and things like jetties or viharas. This is also rupa, and things that are made out of materials, and trees, mountains. And rupa is something that needs to decay, it needs to deteriorate, that's its nature. Then there's Vedana, the feelings that we get, and these are of two sorts, the Vedana in the body and the Vedana in the mind. And so there can be very pleasant feelings um, in the body, there can also be pain in the body, and these are both Vedana. And in the mind there's the gladness that we experience, there's sadness. And there's also upeka, there's equanimity, and this is all vedana. So this vedana appears both in the body and in the mind. And then there's sanya, or memory. And um, just like when we see a form, the eye sees a form, or our ears hear a sound, and then we remember what that form is. Remember that sight, remember that smell, that sound. And this memory is very much connected with our brain, it's linked to the brain. And if the brain is good, then our memory will be functioning well. But it's also something that is unreliable, it's inconstant. And just like how sometimes we study something, we learn about something, and then later on we've already forgotten it. So this memory is one kind of mental phenomena um, and it's just a natural phenomena, but our minds go and attach to it. And seeing the mind and memory as being one and the same thing. And then there's sankara, this proliferation, the thoughts that go on. And this too is a nama kanda, it's a, a mental quality. So there's sankara, this proliferation on the side of goodness, just like how we're sitting here practicing meditation, or you've been uh, offering food to the monks in the mornings, and this is merit, punya. And merit is that which produces buoyancy, produces light, happiness. Or like for some people, they travel to India to pay respects to the holy sites there. So there are the four main holy sites. Also maybe go up to Vulture's Peak and to Jetavana Monastery as well. And through doing this, the heart can become very joyful, become bright. We see this is merit that's arising inside of us. So merit can come up through generosity, through taking on the precepts, through meditation. And there's also when we see other people doing good deeds, then we rejoice in those acts. This too is merit in helping other people out. So this is all sankharas on the side of goodness. But there's also the bad side as well, you know, the demeritorious side. So there's sankharas that are meritorious or demeritorious and also 
in the middle, that which is neither meritorious nor demeritorious. And these are the, the kinds of thoughts that go on. And lastly, there's vinyana, the consciousness or the awareness that we have of different feelings, of sights, of smells, of tastes, of uh, tactile sensations. And this is what we call vinyana, the consciousness of this. But it happens very quickly. All of these things go on uh, with great speed. Just like when our eye sees a form, uh, and this whole practice, it happens very quickly. And then our mind goes and attaches to it with great speed. And so the Buddha was very intelligent um, in that he saw into this process. He had a pure wisdom. He was able to teach us. He taught us to abandon evil, to give rise to skillfulness, to make the mind bright and pure. And so like when we sit in meditation, then peace arises. The mind feels very at ease. It fills up with goodness. See that this is merit coming up. And one of the forms of to develop merit is bhavana, is mental cultivation. And one kind of this mental cultivation is that of samatha kamatana, of making the mind peaceful. So we have to understand our own temperament, our own character. And if we like to recollect the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, this Buddha Nusati, Dhamma Nusati, Sangha Nusati, um, then we can do that. We can recollect the great disciples of the Buddha, and those who were foremost in different things, and our minds can fill up with joy through that. You can think about Venerable Sariputta, Venerable Mahamogalana, uh, Venerable Ananda, and Aruda, uh, Venerable Sivali, just whichever monk that inspires faith within us. You recollect them. And this is what we call Sanganusati. So we can also recollect the Buddha and uh, think about the various places uh, that he went to and that were important in his life, the place that he was born where he attained and was awakened, the place where he first taught, and the place where he passed away into final Nibbāna. And through doing this, the mind too can grow peaceful, and this is Buddha-nusati. So you can recollect the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and the purpose of doing this is to bring the mind to peace, to allow it to fill up with joy. And this, when this happens, it shows that the results of our practice are fruiting already. And this is what we call samatha kamatana, you know, tranquility meditation. So how do we develop vipassana, this insight? When the mind is in the peaceful state, um, then we contemplate into things. So perhaps we see um, an ubosata hall, a dharma hall, and we see that it has been built already, it's arisen, but we also see its nature of deterioration as well. Maybe perceive it turning into dust, and then from dust it turns into emptiness. And here we see into the state of the Dhamma, the truth, how these things arise, they stay for a while, and then they pass away, and wisdom arises. 
And so to see into the state of the Dhamma, then we contemplate anicca, dukkha, anatta, it's inconstancy, stress, and not self. And this is a very high form of merit, the merit that comes through the arising of wisdom. And if we really see these things clearly, then we'll gain the barami uh, to, for our hearts to enter into the stream of the Dhamma, uh, to attain to the state of sotapanna. And from there, the mind will really be set on freeing itself from suffering. But sometimes this doesn't happen all at once, but rather we just carry on cultivating the barami to see things in this state. And through doing that, the faith that we have in the Buddha's teachings will be very firm in the hearts. So in the beginning, we develop generosity, we develop virtue and samadhi. And even though it may be tough to do, we still carry on. We still seek out this practice and try to put it into practice. We set our hearts really on creating all kinds of merit. And we see that um, when we make merit through offering material things, then it's, it kind of changes state. That those material goods, they become internal wealth. That really these things are kept within the hearts. So when we do merit, it uh, gets stored within the hearts. The goodness, the skillfulness is there within our minds. And the Buddha praised these kinds of actions. And so we do them with respect and in homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And uh, through this, uh, through making offerings in this way to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, with this faith in our minds, offering very refined things, then our hearts become refined, they become beautiful as well. Um, our minds uh, gain the, these qualities. And in doing this, they're also developing uh, this jaka nusati, the recollection of the things that we have given away from our relinquishment. And this too is another form of meditation. It's another way of creating merit. So when we leave this world, then we depend upon the goodness that we have created and the goodness that the Buddha taught. And he showed uh, this path, the path to peace of mind. So we can see that maybe when we stay at home, we feel very comfortable. We have all kinds of different comforts. But it's difficult for the mind to be brought to peace because of all the duties that we have there. But when we're able to put these things down, put our duties down, then we can come and we can practice. So like how people sometimes go to India, to the four holy sites there. Or maybe they put down their duties and go to the monastery in Thailand. Mm. Uh, but in order to do this, uh, they need to depend upon the powers of endurance that they have. And sometimes there may be worries about their bodies, about illnesses that they have. Uh, but they can contemplate and see, well, where is it that illness doesn't arise. Wherever people are, then there'll be sickness. Wherever there's people, there'll be pain. And you can ask, well, where am I going to die? I don't know. Will I die 
on the land? Will I die in water? Will I die in the air? I don't know. I'm just like one little girl during the Buddha's time who was seven years old, and she listened to the Dhamma of the Buddha. And the Buddha once asked her where she came from, and she responded that she didn't know. And the adults who were around her at the time were very annoyed because they thought that she was just messing around with the Buddha. And they had a lot of respect for him. The whole uh, populace of that area did. Even the king held the Buddha in great respect. But she asked, she answered uh, that she didn't know where she came from, whereas everyone knew very well that she had just come from a house. But really she was responding in terms of wisdom. That before she was at a house, before she was born, she didn't know where she came from. Then the Buddha asked, where are you going to? And she likewise responded that she didn't know. But in a mundane level, she knew that she was going to her father's weaving guild. And so the people got even more annoyed because they thought that she was just playing around. So the Buddha then asked, so you don't know then? And she responded, I do know. And uh, what she meant was that she didn't know that she would have to die for sure. Then the Buddha asked, Ah, so you know? And she said, No, I don't know. She didn't know when she would die. She didn't know how she would die. So it showed that this girl had a lot of sati, banya, of mindfulness and wisdom. Showed that she had practiced a lot before, before this life developed the recollection of death the recollection of the Buddha already. So the Buddha exclaimed that this world is dark and those who see clearly are very few. And the word in Pali for world, loka, also means darkness as well. And that this body is dark and that it's difficult for people to see its true nature. That it has this quality of Um, pain being normal for it, for it being normal for the body to get old. It's normal for the body to die. But it's difficult for people to understand that, to see that. And why is that? It's because the mind has already gone and attached to it. It's just like how when we build a house, and we don't want for that house to fall apart. But it can't stay here for long. The things of this world can't stay for long. It has to follow its own nature, it has to follow causes and conditions, it has to follow the ways of time. And we can contemplate that 2,500 years ago, um, that there were these great cities in India. You can look at this in terms of Dharma, see that uh, Kapilavatu, where the Buddha was born, or uh, Devataha, or Savati, that all of these are just in ruins now. That 2,500 years ago, there was a lot of people living in them. They were the very developed places. But now, there's just uh, ruins there. So we can contemplate this, uh, seeing it in terms of truth. That these things are of the nature to deteriorate, to fall apart. So the Buddha had great wisdom, he had great purity, great compassion. But even his conditioned phenomena, even his body, had to change, had to deteriorate. It was of the nature to do that. 
And before he passed away, uh, he was with Venerable Ananda. And Mara came and requested for the Buddha to pass away. And he, uh, the Buddha consented. But really, he was able to stay for longer. He just needed someone to request for him to do that. Uh, but Venerable Ananda, his mindfulness slipped and he forgot to do that. And so he decided that in three months he would pass into final Nibbana. And when Venerable Ananda's mindfulness came back to him, he asked the Buddha to stay for longer. But he said that he wasn't able to, that he'd already made this determination uh, to let go of the conditioned phenomena. So he looked back upon the city for the last time and he walked further. And sometimes he got very exhausted and very thirsty. And uh, the stream that was close by was muddy uh, because some wagons had just gone through it. And he asked Venerable Ananda to take water from that stream, but Venerable Ananda responded that we should wait until we get uh, a bit further because there's a clean stream just up ahead. But the Buddha asked him again and again, so three times in total, and then Venerable Ananda uh, consented and took his bowl and went to the stream. And as he got to the stream, then the water turned clean. It's really amazing that it could do this. And there was also uh, some people who came to offer the Buddha two robes, and he accepted those. And at that time, his body was very bright, uh, just before his death, because he was going into high jhanas very frequently. And uh, the meal that is offered uh, just before the Buddha attains awakening, and also the meal before he uh, passes into Phan Nibbana, gives great benefit, great merit. And his last meal, um, we're not quite sure what it consisted of. The people think it's either a, something made out of pork or it's a mushroom dish. Uh, but it was the last meal that he took, and after that, uh, he was passing blood in his stool. And there was great amounts of pain that was going on. But his mind was able to um, resist that pain, to stay free from that pain. And it shows just how much inner strength he had. And then he uh, taught as well. He taught uh, the last person, um, Subhata, who had made this determination to become the last great disciple of the Buddha. That he, in a previous life, had offered food to a Pajeka Buddha. And he did this along with his older brother. His older brother made the determination to become the first uh, disciple of a future Buddha. And this was turned out to be Venerable Anya Kondanya. And then the younger brother made the determination to become the last disciple. This uh, was later Venerable Subhata. So they made different determinations in this way, and uh, they made the merit uh, for these determinations to come to fruition. So when we recollect the Buddha, if we're skilled at it, then the mind can easily get into peace. And so we develop uh, this Buddha Nusati, uh, training our minds in this way, training 
our hearts cultivating them like this do it very often. This is one of the methods to bring the mind to peace. And when the mind is peaceful, when it's still already, then it's easy for us to just look at the breath. We can watch the breath as it comes and goes, and this is something that's quite simple, that's quite natural. And then the mind becomes more peaceful and gathers into samadhi, with this very firm inner state. Um, And occasionally the mind will think about things in front of it and behind it. And this is Sankara's coming up again. But then we bring these thoughts back to the Buddha or the great disciples of the Buddha. The mind becomes joyful uh, through this. We see that this is an intelligent or a skillful um, object to bring up for the mind. And our samadhi becomes better, becomes firmer than it was before. And we see the results of our practice in the Dhamma um, coming up in our own hearts. So may all of you train in this way, may you all cultivate this path.